0: find ourselves this morning, as we approach the Word of God, We rejoining the biography of Jesus right where we left off last week. In fact, if I had been really trying to write these things out in advance, I probably would have called this uh, the uh, part two of what we did last week because he's still making sure that the mission continues. But we'll see this week that Jesus is going to not only keep the ministry going, but he is going to actively be multiplying the ministry. He wants not just to be able to be able to do it in one place, but to do it in other places at the same time. And so, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter number 3. And we're going to read a few verses here together. And some of it is a list which we could spend a lot of time on. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to hear this portion of the book of Mark. From chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. You read along as I read aloud. Verse 13 begins this way. And he went up on the mountain and called to himself those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, Judas, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Let's pray together. Father God, we do come with gratefulness and thankfulness before the Scripture this day. And Father, for everything that you've done to to churn our hearts this week, as we've remembered the the faithfulness that you've shown to this congregation over the last 38 years, as you're going to continue to do, we just ask you, Lord God, to take the truth of what's in these verses now, plant it deeply in our hearts. Let us not be uh, concerned with the, the, the dinner for the next few moments, but instead, Father, be thinking about what you would speak to each one of our hearts. We love you. We ask you to move during this time, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now we've come back to uh, Mark's record of the ministry of Jesus, and we should note that we're still in the very early days. This is probably between six to nine months after his uh, time of temptation in the wilderness, so it's less than a year after he's been baptized, probably more like seven or eight months after he's been baptized. He's been slowly going through this, uh, this area around the Galilee where he's based his ministry there out of Capernaum, and he's gathered disciples as he's gone. Some people that were very faithful, some that were there a lot while he was preaching. But he's been moving now for some time, and from synagogue to synagogue, from place of preaching to place of preaching, there's been a lot of people come but it's still pretty early days of the ministry of Jesus. And so there's, the ministry is still building. Now we'll see later on that the ministry starts to fall off. I mean, when when he starts to preach some things that are tough and people start to complain and grumble and they walk away, but this is the period of time where it's still growing. And and, and it's interesting because each day that you were with Jesus was a new experience. You never knew what he might say. You never knew what he might do. Each message was fresh and exciting because it was directly from the mouth of God. And it was that kind of a time in his, in his ministry. Each gathering with Christ was full of wonder and awe because hey, you never knew what might happen. You might see someone healed of a sickness, you might see blind eyes open, you might see deaf ears opened and unstopped. That was what was going on. So it was, it was people wanted to be there because you didn't want to miss a moment. And so that's what's going on. The ministry of Jesus still growing. More and more people by word of mouth were hearing about the work and the ministry of the master. But Jesus wanted to do more. And what I mean by that was he was still in his physical body restricted to one place at a time. Because he could preach only one sermon at a time, he could only be in one town at a time, His ministry was restricted in that regard, and so he wanted to multiply his ministry, and that's what we're about to see. He knew that there was a need for this. He knew that there was an opportunity for this. And so what we have before us today, as we read here, was in in every real way, it was the selection, you might think of it as the ordination service, the commissioning service of the apostles. Now it doesn't use the word apostles here necessarily. Uh, some of the translations it just leaves that out. Some of them put it in. We, we, this, this is one of those places where the translations vary a good deal. So don't worry about the differences in your translation. The story is all the same, but it's talking about the call and the appointing of the apostles. The idea being multiplying the ministry through his disciples. Multiplying the ministry through his followers. Verse 13 starts us off as we see Jesus climbing up one of those local mountains. Now if you've ever seen pictures of the the Sea of Galilee, all you had to do was leave the seashore to be climbing a mountain. Because that that, that lake is at the bottom of a kind of a bowl there. In fact, it's below sea level. So everywhere you go from the Sea of Galilee is uphill. So for Jesus to climb a mountain was just to walk away from from the seashore. But he went up onto a mountain, and he didn't make this like a big public meeting. This was one of those places that was a little bit different because he climbed that mountain. And indications here is that he actually summoned to himself those he wanted. In other words, he sent out invitations. He had very special ones that he called to be with him. Not everyone was invited up this mountain with Jesus. Not this time. There weren't any people that were just the curious. There wasn't just the, the, the general crowd. There wasn't the critic were, you know, going to be at this meeting. They weren't given invitations. Jesus sent invitations to those whom he himself wanted. And I love the way it says it there. And you may say, yeah, I know, the, the ones he wanted, the 12, right? Well, actually, the indications from the scripture there, and if you read it in the original languages, there were more than 12 people here. This was an ordination service. You know, when you have an ordination service for a minister or for deacons or for elders or whatever, you have the candidates for ordination, but you also have the witnesses, the families, the children, the parents, the friends. And so if you have an ordination service, and that's what this really is, you're going to have other people invited. And so there would have been other people interested in this ordination. I mean, Simon Peter's about to be called into full-time ministry. In effect, you think his wife's going to be interested in finding out about that? Maybe his wife's mother, remember she was the one that was healed there, Peter's mother-in-law, she'd probably be interested in it. I imagine that Zebedee was probably called to this meeting because he was the father of John and James. And so there were going to be a lot of other people, even though it doesn't tell us how many. You say, well, maybe I don't see all that there. Well, okay, you can, you can disagree with me on that if you want. But in my humble but correct opinion, there were more than just 12 people there. But the thing is, he called them to himself, and then out of that group, he appointed twelve. And appointed and ordained them as apostles. We do the same thing today when we uh, see people come into ministry. God has called them, they surrender to that call of ministry and we, we want to have that person brought into a moment of, of, uh, of public ministry or public recognition. We don't go into executive session. We don't close it down. We want people who would be interested to come and be a part of that. It's a service of celebration. It's, a, it's an invitation to the group of followers to witness and to help encourage that candidate and to hold them accountable to what they've been called to. That's important. You need people around to be supporters. You need people around to be a blessing, but you also need people to say, yeah, I'm here to bless you, brother, but I'm also watching. Because if somebody's watching me, I probably try a little harder. Now, that (laughs) that may not be the way I'm supposed to do it, but it just works out that way. And God gives us people sometimes to be that holy sandpaper to keep us smooth, moving right along. Jesus obviously didn't need a crowd of witnesses. He was going to bring you know, those 12 into his, his, his inner circle at this time, but it would have been important for the families and the other disciples to see Jesus ordaining these 12, because later on, those 12 were going to have a very special relationship with Christ, and the others needed to see Jesus initiated this. This was something that Christ himself began. So the wives, the children, the parents, the other followers, they were witness to this moment of multiplication. They were witness to this beginning of a, of a new phase of ministry that's going to happen here with Jesus and the, now his 12 apostles. But they all went up the hill, think about this, they all went up the hill because they were invited. You see, Jesus himself called all those he wanted to be at this service, which indicated that they had a pre-existing relationship with the Savior. Jesus invited them. They were not only invited, though they were interested. Jesus had been their rabbi, Jesus had been their teacher, Jesus was their leader. That indicated a pre-existing response to the Savior. When he calls, I come. And so not only were they invited, not only were they interested, but they were intrigued. They wanted to know what was about to change. They could feel something or they knew something was different because they'd never maybe had this kind of an invitation before. And so now Jesus... Has, has, has invited them so they're intrigued. And Jesus never failed to touch a nerve. I mean, if you went to one of his services, you weren't going to walk away thinking, well, I've heard all that before. No, you're going to hear something. He's going to, he's going to touch a nerve. He's going to explain. He's going to answer a question in such a way that they were certain because they had this pre-existing experience of revelation. They knew Jesus was going to teach them something. And so even though it seemed to be a little bit different, they were going to go. And then, as we see there in verse 13, 14, and 15, he appointed... That is, he announced, he advanced 12 of the disciples to be something more. Look at verse 14 with me again. Then he appointed 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. I want to just leave it at that for this moment, because before we go too much further, I want to kind of define the word apostles. Okay. Now, some of the translations leave that out. It's in brackets. It's in parentheses. But what the idea is, these are the ones that Jesus is going to send out. The word apostle genuinely means sent out one. That is, if in our language it would be an ambassador, a representative, somebody who was. Uh, given the responsibility and the the privilege of being the representative, you know if you 've seen some of these award programs where somebody comes up and they receive award as a representative of someone else or you see an ambassador go out from a country and they represent the nation from which they 've come, that representative speaks for the one they represent, not for themselves, and uh, they were going to be sent forth by the Lord that through them. He might multiply his ministry. He's going to multiply his ministry now by a factor of 6 or 12 or 7 or whichever word you want to use because they're going to go out 2 by 2, so it's going to be 6 more teams. So it's 7 plus 6, that's, or 1 plus, anyway, moving on. He's, minus, he's multiplying, okay? Some of them would have great multiplication. Some of them would just be, okay, we went and talked and we did some, some more, but depending on your math skills, he's about to multiply his ministry. But with this small understanding, and it's very important truth, you must understand, this is a detail you don't want to miss, an ambassador never goes out representing himself. Our Secretary of State, as our Ambassador Plenipotentiary for the United States, he goes out not to represent himself, but to go out to represent our nation and the, the, the legal government of our nation. An ambassador never goes out representing himself. He doesn't go out and speak his own thoughts. He doesn't go out and speak his own ideas. He can only put forth the words of the one who sent him. And the apostle was that kind of a representative, someone who was going to go and speak the words that, that, of the one who sent him. So um, the apostles were never sent out to be the center of attention. Every time they spoke, they were pointing to Christ. Every time they spoke, they were trying to, to have people look away to Jesus. So before we get to, to all that and they go out, Let's carefully examine the order of what Jesus called these men to do because it begins in verse 14. Very interestingly, look there again with me. He went up on them and he appointed 12 that they, number one, they might be with him. You see it there? Very simple. He wanted them, he called them to be with him. You say, now wait a minute, they were already followers. They were already with him, weren't they? They were there. What's this mean? He called them to be with him. They've been disciples for some time and... But now he's calling them into something deeper, something more, something more rich and and full. He wanted them to fully leave behind their old thoughts of who they were and what they were and what they were doing and and begin a, a new life. He wanted them to leave behind that life of the nagging everyday cares of life that they had been living and just kind of visiting Jesus. He wanted them to be with him now. He wanted them to spend time with him. By the way, God wants you to spend time with Him. Jesus wants you to spend time with Him. It'll change you. It won't change Him, but it'll change you. And it will help you. Jesus wanted them to spend time with Him. And what they what He intended from that was Jesus wanted them watching Him do life. You know, that's one of the things about parents. God gives children parents so that the children can watch the parents do life. Somebody the other day posted a little picture on Snapchat or whatever it was, and it was this little kid cussing. I'm talking about an 18-month-old swearing. And, oh, it was, ha, 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 LOL, big, funny, big, funny. Where did an 18-month-old learn to swear, say naughty words? She didn't come out of the womb with that. It was a little girl, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's real funny. Daddy had been working in the garage on a car, and I've understood that there's something about working on a car you almost can't do it without cussing. Is that true? No, it's not true, and that daddy had taught that 18-month-old to swear. You see, you're going to teach your children your manner of life. Jesus wanted his disciples with him at this time so that he could teach them and model for them his manner of life so that as they went out in ministry, guess what they would do? They would walk and model that same manner of life so that they would be like Jesus. He wanted them to watch Him do life. He he wanted them to watch Him minister, so that when they went out to minister, that's what they would do. Jesus wanted them to watch Him react to opposition, because is opposition coming? Oh yeah. Are we going to have bad days? You bet. So Jesus wanted them with Him so that they could see that, watching Him react to people that were in need, and especially... So they continued to learn about the Father. So they'd hear Jesus teaching everything He was teaching about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in essence, just to boil it down, He was calling them to a deeper walk with Him. A continual deep walk with Him. We, <clears throat> we hear that call in many different ways today. Uh, Jesus calls us to us to a deeper walk with Him. Jesus calls us to to learn of Him. Jesus calls calls us to watch how He reacted. That's why we need to read the Gospels again, often, so that we can see how Jesus reacted and how Jesus walked, to see His manner of life, so that when we come to those situations, we can react the way Jesus would. So God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Himself wants us to spend quality time with Him. That's the number one thing. He called them to do that. And, and, And you might say, I see what you're doing, preacher man. You're trying to get us to have a quiet time. Here we go back again to read your Bible and pray. Um, yep. How else you going to do it? He calls you to come away. This was a mountaintop. This wasn't somewhere down in the metropolitan area of Capernaum, right there on the seashore. This was a place to be alone with Him for this time of ordination. And then to stay with Him, Jesus is calling us to do that. And the best way for us to do that is to have that daily quiet time, that moment with the Lord, that 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it turns out to be. If, if you start off and it's just a few seconds with God to say, God, here I am. I don't know what you're going to do with me today, but I'm ready for it, I guess. <laughs> Whatever your prayer life starts out as, it's going to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. So start off with that. Read a couple of verses. Read a couple of chapters. Read a couple of books. But get into God's Word. Get into His presence. We'll never become like Jesus. We will never experience the power of the resurrection that we've already been given. If we, if we live in like we're in some kind of spiritual vacuum, we've got to be with Him. We've got to stay with Him. We must be pressing into our relationship with Him, going ever deeper into Christ. We're called Today, as they were called, to be rightly related to the Savior, spending time with the Savior. So he called them to be with him. But then I want you to notice by inference here, if he's calling a group of 12 to be with him, guess what they're also going to be? They're going to be together. That means there's not going to be just kind of rolling around just me and you and you know me and Jesus. It's going to be... A little harder to see this here in this short verse, but all 12 are going to be with Jesus, so by simple necessity, they're going to be with one another, right? So he called them to do life with him, but understand this, he also called them to do life with each other. And this is where sometimes it gets a little harder. Sometimes it's like, oh yes, I'm happy to be just me and Jesus, we're going to be just me and Jesus. But Jesus has a family. Have you, some, of you, some of you folks got married, and you suddenly realized, whoops, I married a family. Don't look at me all spiritual. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I thought I was getting into marrying my sweetheart, but my sweetheart has this crazy uncle. And he thinks he can tell me what to do, or he thinks he can give me his opinion any old time. Jesus called us into his family, and you cannot rightly love the Savior without also loving his body. Let me say a little bit more about that. See, He called them not only to do life with Him, but life with one another. To be that support and accountability group for one another. I don't care what you think. I don't, I'm sorry if you believe this, but Jesus never called anybody to be a Lone Ranger believer. You may be odd. You may be unique. You may be different. No matter how odd, different, or unique you think you are, there is a place for you in the body of Christ. Some people think, well, hey, I'm too stupid substandard. Nobody wants me, or I'm just too above average. No matter how substandard you think you are, no matter how about above average you might think you are, there is a place for you in the body of Christ. No matter how gifted or not, no matter how educated or not, no matter how rich or not, no matter how young or not, there is a place for you in the body of Christ. Christ not only called you to himself, he called you to gather together as a body. Now, does that body always get along? No. Does the body always see eye to eye? No. Does the body always agree with the teacher and follow the teacher? Well, no. But were they ever rejected by the Savior? No. Remember that time when John and James came to Jesus and said, We went into a town and they wouldn't listen to us. We want to call down fire and brimstone. just." By the way, I think that's why he called them the sons of thunder, <laughs> because they were easily provoked. Which is interesting that in his end, the, the end of his life, John, the beloved, turned out to be the apostle of love. Because as a young man, as a kid, basically, he's a really pretty probably late teenager, early 20s, when he began to follow Christ, he was one of those, I'm quick to get excited kind of guys. But Jesus called them to be with Himself. Jesus called them to be with one another, and Jesus never rejected any of His believers. You say, "Wait wait a minute. What about I? What about Judas Iscariot? Is there at the end. Yeah, Jesus didn't reject him. He rejected Jesus. Jesus never left Judas. Judas left Jesus. He left the group. He was not rejected. See, in order to be rightly related to the Savior, you're also going to have to be rightly related to His body. You can't tell me you love Jesus, but you just, I just love Jesus, but I can't stand that church. I'm not talking about this church in particular. I'm talking about any body of Christ where God plugs you in. I'm talking about that place where you say to yourself, I love Jesus, and therefore I love His body, His family, His children. You cannot love Jesus the head of the body and hate the rest of the body can't do it it's not possible you'll either love both or you'll hate both so he called them to be with him he called them to be with each other but then it's interesting he called them to preach boy i tell you what that would have done it for most of us he called them to go out and speak now were these guys trained speakers no i mean they've been talking all their lives but that didn't mean they were ready to go out and speak to go out and speak in public statistics will tell you that it's about the second or third most frightening thing in all of the world to be in front of a crowd speaking. Now, for those people who do it, it's just, this is just part of life. But for most people, to get up in front of a group, it's like, what do I do? What do I say? What am I, what are, you're going to see my hair is not parted right. None of that stuff matters, but people feel that way. And so it's one of the most frightening things. And here Jesus is ordaining these 12 men, whether it was a fisherman or a, a tax collector or, or something else, and they're going to go out and preach. Now, my first question is, preach what? They're not seminary trained. They had no background. Now, they would have gone to, to, to seminary, or to, excuse me, they would have gone to Sabbath school. They would have gone to some synagogue as they grew up, but they were not professional speakers. They were not teachers. They weren't rabbis. They weren't Levites. Preach? Jesus, you've got to be kidding. What were these unlearned men going to preach? Well, Before you feel sorry for these men, remember this. They were walking with the greatest preacher of all time. They were under the ministry and the mentorship of the greatest preacher of that time or any other time. They were right there walking with and hearing the most effective speaker who ever walked the history of history. And they got to watch the Lord day in and day out. Jesus wasn't calling them to be creative and thoughtful speakers. You know, he didn't call them to say, get some jokes, get some anecdotes, get some stories, and then go out there and mix in a little Bible. That's not what Jesus was calling them to do. He was calling them to repeat his message. By the way, that's what gospel ministry should be all about. I'm called not to be entertaining. Now, I hope sometimes you feel that way, because I want to be liked. I'm human. But the fact is, I'm called to repeat his message. These men were going to be sent out to repeat what Jesus had already said. That's the call to preach and teach we have today, to repeat the message that he sent us to take, and he sends it through us to a dying world all around us. So he sent them forth, repeating the message that they'd heard from Jesus. What was that? The message of reconciliation. The message that God is not mad at you. The message that Jesus started off there in his own synagogue in Nazareth, that it's the acceptable year of the Lord. The message of God's love for all, and for all who will receive it. You can't go wrong preaching the same things Jesus preached and taught. You just can't, because that's what people need to hear. You may teach it in a new way, an up-to-date way, with, with toys and gadgets and all the rest, but the truth is the truth. If the Word is the Word, and the strength of the gospel is still there, Jesus is going to bless your preaching, or your ministry, or your teaching. Jesus never sent out the twelve apostles, though, to be like Messiah look-alikes. He sent them out with their own character, their own uh, uh, personalities, but he sent them out to be ministers of the Word. What word? The Word that would point all who heard them back to the Lord himself. The thing that brought Jesus, excuse me, the thing that brought them up to the mountain was Jesus himself. They were invited. The thing that brought them to that mountaintop was Jesus himself. The thing that unified that group was Jesus himself. And the message that they were to preach was Jesus himself. But then in order to authenticate the message... As he sent them out to preach, he gave them this fourth thing, and it's there in verse 15, to have the power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Now that's interesting to me. Were they able to just do miracles willy-nilly now? They could just walk in anywhere and go clear clear out a hospital? No, evidently it wasn't that way. It was the same kind of ministry that Jesus had that... that They would go and speak the word, and then God, by His mercy and grace, would allow them to do things and allow things to happen through their ministry in the same way it did through the ministry of Jesus. But it was still actually Jesus Himself. Because He gave them authority, it says there in it says, verse 15 says, the power, in other, words, in other translations, is the authority. He gave them the authority to cast out demons. He gave them the authority to, to, to punch out sickness. Not by their power, but by the same way Jesus did it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, driving out demons. The purpose being that all who were listening, all who were witnessing these amazing signs would be pointed back to the Father and to the Son whom He had sent. But never lose sight of this. The unifying factor, the glue that held them together was Rabbi Jesus. The glue that held them together was the Master Jesus. The one that, that brought them together was Jesus Himself. And what brought them to Jesus, in in fact, if you go all the way back to the ministry of John the Baptist and then the ministry of Jesus too, the thing that brought people to them, the thing that brought people to Jesus in the first place was a common recognition. They recognized they weren't right with God. What was it that John the Baptist was preaching? Repent! Why would you need to repent? Because I recognize I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I'm not right with God the way I want to be. And for everybody who heard John and then the people who actually came to Jesus, they recognized, they realized it was so obvious, they couldn't even begin to deny it. I'm not right with God. See, what it is, is they had actually begun to see their sin and call it what God called it. Jesus came showing them a sinless minister. He came as a sinless preacher. He came as a a sinless one with a deeper reminder that they were broken and separated from God. And so they came because they had that common recognition, I'm not right with God. And because they felt that, then they all had also a common desire to be right with God. I mean, if you get to the place where you genuinely feel the weight of your sin, I mean, you feel it. I can see I have disappointed the Father. I'm no longer right with God. I was never right with God. I was born a sinner. And you see that and you feel that, that's going to naturally give you a desire to be right with God. Or it's going to drive you away. But God, if, he, if God's bringing that to you as conviction, it's going to draw you to God. And so that they came with a common recognition that they were wrong, that they were broken, they weren't right with God, and then they have a common desire to be right with God. Today, all around us, we see people who have their conscience so seared and scarred by sin that they genuinely don't even want to hear about God. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to be, it's like, don't bother me with the facts, my mind is made up. That's where they're at. They genuinely don't want to hear about the love of God. They don't want to hear about righteousness. They deny sin, and they're denying sin not because they don't feel the sin, but because if they accept and acknowledge that it's sin, they have to admit that they're not right before a holy God. Those who had followed Jesus all had the desire to be right with God. And they saw in Jesus the way back to to God. And so when they, they began to follow Christ, they had not only a common recognition and a common desire, but they had a common acceptance. The individuals who chose to follow Jesus realized that they had found in Christ the way back into a right relationship with the God of our fathers. They recognized their brokenness. They desired to have that, recon- or that relationship restored. And then they accepted that Christ was the only way back to that restoration. They didn't really understand all there was yet, they, but they were going to stick with the Master because they had accepted that He's the way. We're going to stick with Him and He'll show us. And so they began with those three things, but then all of them together had a common devotion. They chose to stay with the Lord, to return to the Lord, to come back to His meetings, to come back to His teaching, not out of duty, but out of love and devotion. Those common factors, all four of them, were present in all the disciples. And and especially, I have to to believe, evident in these apostles, even Judas, who could fake it, and nobody could tell the difference. So they're ordained. But they're not yet sent forth. I want to skip all the way down to verse 19. According to the Scripture, I, I don't want to forget the list that's there because 12 men's names are there all of them important, all of them precious to God, but I don't want to get caught up in all that. I want us to look at what happened at the end. He didn't send them out yet. In verse 19 it says, And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. They went to this service of ordination, and then they took their newly minted ordination and went home because they weren't yet ready to be sent forth. They weren't yet prepared to be sent out. You see, they still needed more time with the Master. Have you all ever feel that way? Now, if God puts you in a situation and you feel like you haven't had enough time, chances are you have. But God knows, God knew with these men, God knows with you and I, there are just times when we just need more time with the Master. Maybe it's not just the master, we need. maybe it's we need more time with the ministry group, more time getting to know my, my family, more time being held accountable by the people around me. So they not only needed more time with the master, they needed more time with the ministry group, and some of them hadn't memorized the messages yet. You know, if you were with Jesus and you heard the same message 20 or 30 or 40 times, you'd have it pretty well memorized. Now, he didn't preach the same thing over and over and over again, but how do you think they were able to write it down 25 years later? They memorized it. Because he was telling the story uh, to the people everywhere he went in the same way. So they needed more time with the message. And then, also needed more time with the meaning of the call that they had received. What is it really going to mean to represent Christ? What is it really going to mean to to go out two by two to where Jesus is going to come himself? So, so even though it seems like in, in other places it talks about this and they immediately go forth, it shows us right here that they took their newly minted ordination and they went home. Now, Can you imagine with me, though, some of the people that came down that hill from this service of excitement, from this service of a very holy time of Jesus calling these twelve forth and showing to this entire group that these are my apostles now, some of those people came down that mountain doubting. Some of those people came down that mountain still in their unbelief. Some of them still had questions. I mean, we know for a fact Judas was still unbelieving. Others probably too, and we're going to see next week. Even Jesus' own family was still having difficulty accepting who he really was. So when we hear somebody say, Robert, I just don't believe in a God. I mean, come on, I just I, I don't see it. I mean, I, I just don't believe. They're probably being honest. They're probably not trying to throw a rock in your pond. They might genuinely be honest. They don't believe. So what do I say? What do we say to that honest doubter? Well, let me say this is what I would say. You may not believe in God, but God does believe in you. You may not believe in God, but God certainly believes in you. He believes in you so much that He moved all these various circumstances to this very moment to bring us you together this very moment to be somewhere where you could hear that God loves you. To bring you to this very moment where you could hear the truth for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God will move heaven and earth to get that message to people as He has done all through history and as He did for you one day if you've been saved. That good news is for all, those who believe already and those who have yet to believe. Somebody says, yeah, but you know, Robert, I just I'm, I don't believe that either. They're being honest about it. Well... What I would say to that person, even if you don't believe it, God believes it. God believes the gospel so strongly, he believed it so much that he sent his own precious dear son to a cruel Roman torture device called a cross where he died to pay the debt of your sin and my sin. The debt that you owed because scripture says the wages of sin is death. Jesus came and took that full paycheck. That's what it really means. The paycheck for sin is death. Jesus took your paycheck and he cashed it. He took the wages of death that were due to you, then due to me because of our sin, into his own body on the tree. God somehow, by his supernatural ability, grace, gave Jesus all of our sin. Every sin we've ever committed, every sin we ever will commit, he put it all on Christ so that we could receive the gift of righteousness. God believes it. God believes it so much that He still has His ministers. He still has his, his Bible. He still has His Holy Spirit preaching it and teaching it and sharing it today. But if God could have done it any other way, without sending His own precious dear Son, I think He would have done it. I mean, every person who's ever lived is guilty of sin. Even your precious dear grandma. Even that person you knew who... They were such a saint, their butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. Sinner. You say the name Billy Graham, great saint of God, I want to tell you. Billy Graham, sinner. Now, am I bringing him down? No, I'm telling you, that's where we all start. Mother Teresa, wonderful person, sacrificial life, all kinds of wonderful works, sinner. John the Baptist, Sinner. Paul the Apostle, sinner. Why? Because we know the Scripture says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including Billy grandmother, Teresa, Paul the Apostle, and John the Baptist. That means you and me as well. Your sin is not too bad that you cannot be saved. And by the way, let me say it this way too. Your sin is not so small that you do not need to be saved. All of us need that same salvation. You do that in the same way as every other person who's ever come back to relationship with God, and that is through Jesus. By admitting that you're a sinner, you come with that common recognition. Just like the apostles had to. That common recognition that I am a sinner and I have a relationship that's broken with God. And then the common desire of repentance and faith saying, I want my sin atoned. I want my sin forgiven. I want my life right with God. So we have that common desire, that common acceptance. We all have to come through Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't be saved through good works. You can't be saved through church membership. You can't be saved through giving to Jerry's kids or even being nice to a kitty cat. You've got to be saved through Jesus, just like everybody else has. That common recognition, I'm a sinner. Common desire, I need my sin forgiven. That common acceptance of Jesus. For no one comes to the Father except through Him. And then that common devotion that follows that. My question to us as I close, have you done that? On this Sunday in which we mark our anniversary, 38 years of service that God has allowed through this congregation, many faces have come and gone. Some have gone on to glory, some have gone to other churches, have gone to other ministries, have gone to other fields of service across the world. But all of them had to start off with that same thing I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. Jesus is the way. And answering the question, I will accept his gift of righteousness because he took my sin to the cross. Let's pray.